Today on the podcast, we're going to interview another legend of the sport. His name, Justin Hewish. I'm, I'm, I'm not the best podcaster, but I'll do my best to enunciate as best I can and not talk of my surfing <laughs> skater slur of California. <laughs> Dude, everybody expects the skater slur of Southern California. It's part of, it's part of the image. Let's start out with that. You know, I mean, you know, here's the thing. Uh, Justin Hewish, the only man in American history to win two gold medals at the same Olympic games in the sport of archery. And, um, you know, that is an accomplishment that is historic. It's one that has not yet been matched by anyone else. And it is something that, um, you know, really had a huge impact worldwide for a while. You were the face of archery, kind of like how Brady Ellison is here in the United States today. And I think that that is a testament to, you know, where we've been and where we're going. You know, um, give us your thoughts on what it was like to be that guy during that era, the image of our sport. Well, you know, for me, being just a kid from California, shooting archery because I love the sport. And a lot of it had to do with my parents because my dad mainly he was into hunting and shooting and he decided to open up an archery shop in 1989 and uh you know I kind of got into it because of him and I never had the expectation or the goal initially of I want to make an Olympic team shooting archery uh my path was a, a little bit different than most others and that's just what ended up working out for me. And uh, it's funny because, you know, after the games and winning, winning the Olympics and stuff, it was definitely an adjustment for me because, I mean, within the sport, I had a little bit of popularity um, just because we were kind of, uh, would you say, like exciting kids for the sport? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no, no, no doubt about it. I mean, you know, ever since very first time I met you was in 91 at the world trials in Houston. You remember that mud fest that we had? Yes. It was uh, at NASA, right? At the Johnson space center. And we were in, you know, literally a foot and a half of mud, like knee deep. But the thing I noticed, you know, having met you for the first time at that event, even though, you know, by that point I was, uh, I was headed to California myself was the image, you know, and the, and the energy that you guys had, you and, and Hainline, you were pretty well inseparable, Mark Hainline. Um, and you were kind of peas of a pod. And, and you, you know, you had the image of, of uh, kind of skater kids, you know, the, the kind that kind of thumbed their nose at authority a little bit, <laughs> but were having fun the whole time. And going out there and shooting scores, even at that time, that were, obviously something for everybody else to keep track of because for sure right out of the gate as soon as you started going to national events you made your mark and the following year you got to go on your first world travel team uh headed to Greece as a junior yeah and I ended up going there and shot 1320 at that tournament in Greece which you know at that time in 92 I was still probably one of the first 10-15 guys to break that in the U.S. Oh, yeah, and, for sure. And so it was definitely uh, very monumental, considering if you looked at the Olympic trials in 92 or anything in 91 or 90, and it's just like, how did you go from 1100s, 1090s to 1320s, you know? 
And, right. you know, a lot of it is, you know, just like what the kids today do, it's just sitting there and practicing all day long and loving the sport so much that literally the only time you come off the field is because your fingers are hurting so bad or you had to go do something else. And, um, you know, when you're at that age, 15 years old, those informative years, uh, you can just gain leaps and bounds on skills, you know, whether it be archery or someone picking up the drums or a guitar for the first time or whatever it is, it's, it's a lot different once you get a little bit older. And so, you know, it wasn't like one of those things where, oh, I want to do this. I just wanted to keep shooting and just naturally the progression happened. And, um, you know, I know I had a little bit of a skill for it, but, you know, Lloyd Brown was pretty much the one that had the eye. You know, he, he pretty much made me shoot. I, I was kind of hesitant. Um, that's why I didn't start till late 89. Our, my parents opened up their shop in May of 89. And I kind of just was working there as cheap child labor um, <laughs> just because I didn't know that I didn't have to go there. I'm an only kid and I just wanted to help my parents out. So I started learning how to fletch arrows and, you know, clean up the shop and uh, do the cash register and all that kind of stuff. And Lloyd had come to the shop and he was doing lessons on Thursday nights because uh, he lived in the valley there. And he just kept telling me, come on, shoot, come on, shoot. And I had shot prior to that a little bit with my dad, but it didn't catch me. I didn't get that archery bug. Like I always wanted to do other things. And for every reason, just by being around archery, and it usually happens when someone is around any kind of atmosphere, you end up starting to like it or be a part of it. And so I would listen to him teach, you know, the kids and Joad how to pull through the clicker and all that kind of stuff. But I never actually grab the bow and he was like man you should do it you can make an olympic team and all this stuff and i was like yeah right and just you know laughing it off and finally in november of 89 uh he asked me one more time i was like let's do it i'm down so we went literally walked from the pro pro lines into the archery shop i went into the case i grabbed the brand new gold medalist brand new carbon foam limbs the best shibuya stuff there was i mean i had the best of everything from the get-go because I'm the archery, uh, the son of the archery owner. And uh, so I went out into the lanes and he pretty much right off the bat kind of taught me how to shoot, not just like the 10 steps of archery, but how to shoot Olympic recurve. And I think that was one of the main reasons why I gained so many leaps and bounds right off the bat because I wasn't trying to fight that uh, camp or boy scout instinctive shooting that you kind of get when you first start out when you just get like a wood bow and shoot it all the time and uh and i still after that i i never had the olympic dream i mean i'm just being honest here you know i i quickly found out that initially was a good way to get out of school and go to tournaments nationally and so that's what in 1990 when i was in 10th grade really was like, oh, man, get to travel and go see the country. Uh, this is totally rad. This is what I want to do. And it wasn't to get out of school necessarily, but it was just, you know, something that, you know, my friends and guys at the archery shop were doing. So I just kind of backed into it that way. And, um, you know, even my story all the way, like all the doors that open are just very interesting because I, I wouldn't say I backed into everything, but 
it kind of happened that way. Because even once I graduated in 92 from high school, my mom's like, well, what are you going to do? You're going to go to Moore Park College? Uh, you know, what, what, what are you up to? And I heard that ASU had that spot open, a spot at the team out there. So I applied to Sherry Rhodes out there and, and she accepted me to the ASU Sun Devil team. You know, 17 years old, I graduated high school and packed up my Toyota truck and drove out to ASU. And, and that was a real eye opener for me. But just from because I was very immature at that time, you know, I still am. But uh, that time I was really. And so by going there, um, it was overwhelming to be on my own for the first time, having no rules, uh, trying to go to a state school and go to classes shoot archery and have this schedule that Sherry had for us. And so it was definitely an adjustment period for me. But the minute I got there, you know, it just something clicked with me in my shooting. And like within two weeks of being there, that's when I started shooting those 1300 scores. I mean, it was, I went from like literally 12 tens to 1300s just by being in Arizona. It was the weirdest thing because, you know, Rick was there, Jay was there. Um, you know, the list goes on and on of everyone that was on the team. And yeah. And so it's just like one of those things you start shooting with those kinds of shooters and you go, I can do like that. And, and they suck you into your vortex, their vortex more or less. And so I, right off the bat, just started shooting really well, but I was fighting this other side of me that was really had a hard time being on my own and being Arizona state and trying to go to classes and pass the classes and, you know, just everything that goes into it. And, um, you know, I, I got through it, but, you know, unfortunately that year, right when I was starting to settle down, uh, they decided that they weren't going to have a varsity team anymore, that they wanted to turn into a club team. And the crossroads was for my mom was, you know, they were paying for my room and board and ASU was paying for my tuition and books and my classes and all the tournaments. And they were still going to honor the tuition and books, but the tournament thing they weren't going to do anymore. And so my mom pretty much said, you can stay at ASU and I'll pay for your room and board, or you come home and I'll pay for your tournaments. And, um, and the main reason why I left was because I had started shooting so well. Even the national championships that year at ASU, I shot a 1328, broke like Rick McKinney's record or someone's record at the time. I got one of those big old NCAA rings and, uh, you know, it was just like at that moment I was on such a high with archery that I, I couldn't possibly have stayed there because my struggle was going to school and not shooting. So it wasn't taking the easy way out, but I want to say I kind of did go with what was the easiest thing for me and what I want to do. And ASU just wasn't the fit. And so that's why I came home. And, you know, that was end of 93. And I, so I ended up going to Moore Park College. I was taking classes there and I was shooting. And then we had the earthquake in January of 94. And that my parents' house is like 10 miles from the epicenter. And so they, their house was pretty damaged. And so we ended up getting a general contractor to remodel the house. I was like living at my aunt's house for the interim kind of just, you know, living on a couch more or less, you know, still in between things. And I wasn't wondering what I was doing with my life, but I was just kind of floating. And then all of a sudden I got wind that the Olympic Train Center is opening up in Chula Vista. 
And just like ASU, I'm like, here's my ticket to get out of town. <laughs> so I signed the application and sent it down. And Nancy Myrick was running the show down there. And she had a um, couple beds open. And she took us in, took me and Mark. And we went down there. And we were like the first, not the first set, but like first official set of RAs there in January of 95. And once again, I kind of had the same thing that happened to me when I went to ASU being around, you know, Jay and Rick and James Loge and Chad Connor and all those really good shooters. All of a sudden I moved to the train center and Rod White and Butch Johnson and Alan Razor and you, I mean, there's a, a whole plethora of good shooters down there at the time. And, you know, we all had the same goal of just shooting all day, except for you, you were working and Alan, but you know, it was just, shoot all day and get better and you know just me standing on the field with butch and rod it was kind of like asu they just kind of sucked me into their vortex you know you just i just started getting better because i wanted to you know not necessarily shoot as good as them but it just kind of like rubs off on you oh, and yeah. and you know and so as you know as i was shooting the trials and became good friends with rod and butch and we started shooting well and that top eight was pretty stout at the time. I mean, I couldn't even, I don't remember the list exactly, but it was all the, the big legends of the, of the time. And, you know, I never really placed myself on top of them. Like I always think, God, it'd be almost impossible to make the team. Look at all these shooters. This is crazy. And, um, you know, and just Rod and Butch just were like my, we were like the three amigos, you know? And so we started shooting the trials and, and all three of us were just hanging there at the top. It was just amazing. And, you know, Butch, without him, there would have been no Justin Hewish because he gave me every tip and tidbit. You know, he'd been around for 20 plus years, you know, so from tuning to mental to the seriousness of a tournament to when to not be serious, you know, just everything about it. You know, I just kind of just watched him and more or less became his equal i guess we would say at the time and uh and you know it just one of those things all the little stepping stones happened and once i made the team and then we shot the grand prix i got second at the grand prix and lost to jang in the finals and that was the first time i like podiumed for the senior division worldwide you know the, the european youth championships is one thing but that was like oh wow i'm actually I belong in the same room with all these guys. And it was a huge confidence builder for me going into that next year. And, and even though uh, me individually, I didn't do all that well at the Grand Prix, you know, us as a team, we did pretty good. It just kind of set me up for the games, you know, and I had a, a, a good approach and a good mindset. I would say going into the games, I did interviews I would do things like this where I would say, you know, you got, you, you, you know, you have to think about winning the gold medal, you know, it's just, there's no other way, but realistically in my mind, I would have been happy just going there being Olympian and that would have been it. Like I, my biggest thing going to the game was I didn't want to lose my first match. I just wanted to at least win that first match and <laughs> move on. And that would have been a total success for me. And I think for, with that kind of approach, not putting all that uh, undue expectation on me, 
I think that just helped me kind of just slip right through more or less. I mean, I, I definitely shot well. If you look at my scores, I'm not downplaying that at all. I mean, uh, I definitely did do well. Um, the main thing is I just didn't choke. You know, that, that's what ends up happening is, you know, you shoot a, a good round and the next one you shoot, you know, something over 110 and you win your match. And then the next one you shoot a 106 and you lose. And, and that was the one good thing about my shooting at that time is I never really shot as great as like Butch or Frangilli or Okio Moon or all of them. You know, if you took it day in and day out on the practice field and watched everyone shoot, I could name, you could just easily see who is the best shooters. Right. But this game doesn't necessarily pick the best shooter. Otherwise we would do it the old 1984 style and just shoot four days of aggregate score. And then the best shooter will win no matter what. Um, and so in this case, it was, it was just set up just perfect, you know, being at the, you know, on home soil, having the family around there, having that, that expectation of just going out there and just, you know, being Olympian didn't really make me feel like I had to medal and, and I ended up pulling it off and, you know, it's, one for the ages definitely um, goes down the history books for sure. Absolutely. But, you know, I'll point out that you had a tendency to rise to the occasion in competition pressure. You're right that, you know, I mean, my, my impression of you from the time shooting together with you at the training center and at tournaments um, was that in practice, you know, you weren't necessarily the tightest grouping guy on the field. You weren't necessarily uh, shooting the highest scores in practice, but when the whistle was blown look out i mean it was it was a different justin in a way you know during that time in competition when your focus was was so solid and you know for each shot i just i just feel like there were kind of two justins there was the fun loving justin who had fun shooting at you know objects on the field and doing other things <laughs> and then there was the serious justin who when the whistle blew was look out, this guy is, is in it for, for winning. And even though you didn't come across as, you know, uh, cocky or, or, you know, uh, all that overconfident, you made up for it with your, your actual performances at these events. And, and, you know, I think that that was an interesting thing that you were able to, you know, take that kind of loose attitude and practice and turn it into focus when you were shooting what was your what was your mental game like during that time well you know initially I didn't have one and you know I struggled with that even this go around uh, me coming back to the sport um, is like everyone talks about running a mental program and and I'm all right so what did I do back then and, and I I can clearly remember when I first got to the train center and, uh, you know, we had different sports psychologists come in before Lisa Francine actually was like dedicated to us. And, you know, they would bring us out to the field and lay us on the ground and have you do like these things where you tighten your feet and your legs and you're just like aware of your body. And then, you know, they would, they would make tapes of us shooting against like other international archers and splice them together and give us the VHS tape. So we'd go home and watch yeah, it. Yeah, I remember I had my set and every shot we shot was a 10 every shot they shot was all over the place. And, you know, I would, I would 
sit there and try to work and try to do that. But my goal wasn't necessarily set on it. Like I wasn't sold on the mental game um, until later on, you know, it was, it was one of those things because I would, you don't see the results instantly, right? You know, you work on that kind of thing. You go to a tournament, all of a sudden you're nervous and you shoot really bad. And you're like, this isn't working. Like trying to run this mental game and, you know, these checkpoints in your head as you shoot, you know, just doesn't work. But then after a season two or two or three of it, all of a sudden you look back and you're like, wow, I can handle it with a deep breath now. I can talk to myself and tell myself a couple of little key words to calm myself down. And that is a mental program. You know, everyone's words and cues and things they do is completely different. And, you know, I just was not confused. I just didn't, I thought like when you talk a mental game, it's like this certain thing and, you know, it's not. And what really worked well for me was not to sit back on the line and think about it. Like a lot of people just get in their chair and they'll like get away from everyone or like how Jay would listen to music or just people would kind of like isolate themselves. And then you got that time between ends where you're thinking about that. And if I did that kind of thing, I would put so much pressure on myself that I wouldn't do well. So I would sit there and crack jokes and try to talk about what we did last night or what we're going to do. Like anything about that competition I'm about to shoot when they blow the whistle in a few minutes. And then once they blew the whistle and then come up, I would stand on the line and that's when I would take my deep breath and I would run my quote unquote mental program, what it took to get through the shot. And, you know, my biggest thing is getting really, really nervous. You know, I know that everyone, they say everyone gets nervous, but there's different levels of it and not everyone gets as nervous or anxious. And, um, I had a real problem with like losing my legs originally. I mean, literally my legs would be shaking and I try to pull back and I just was like floating all over the place. It was, it was insane. And, you know, eventually, you know, shooting so many tournaments and just keep telling yourself that, you love this feeling, you love being nervous and just all the stuff that I thought was kind of like, this is not going to work, you know, then all of a sudden I look back and I'm like, wow, I'm stepping up here. I'm still nervous, but I'm not, I don't, my foundation isn't lost now. I'm actually can aim and shoot on the target and execute a shot. Yeah. I'm going to feel all nervous and clammy and whatever, but if that next guy is doing the same thing, then we're, we're equal here. And you know, that, that was what, worked out for me the best and so I always try to take the backside up the mountain I guess you would say when it comes to shooting competition some people said I wasn't serious like they I, I was actually approached with from quite a few people in the early 90s telling me how I should be acting at a tournament how I should be um, talking and all that kind of stuff but you know in the end I look back on it and that's just what worked for me. You know, some people, it works for them to isolate themselves. And, you know, even now when I'm, I came back and I'm shooting now, I find myself forgetting that and like trying too hard and trying to like get into this mode when that's not what works for me. So I just need to, you know, keep having fun and shoot my arrows and then let the cards fall where the cards fall. And that usually what works best for me. 
You know, it's interesting you point out that people were trying to change your behavior or trying to change who you were, you know, um, which were the very th same things that actually made you successful in retrospect. I don't think Lloyd mm -hmm. was one of those people trying to change you, was he? No, no. Lloyd was very, he was very supportive in every single thing, good right? and bad. That's what right? I'm driving at. Yeah. Lloyd, Lloyd, Lloyd Brown, I'd say you know, and, and Lloyd coached me during that same period of time that he was coaching you. And, and, uh, he did a lot to, I think, put Justin Hewish in context in, in terms of, Hey, this is who this guy is. And, and this is how he performs well. And the rest of you coaches shouldn't be trying to mess with his head because this is how he's going to be successful. I think that that is something that I was able to observe. Yeah, and, and Lloyd himself was also very similar in personality to me. I mean, we, he, you know, right. he never, he still hasn't grown up today, and neither have I. And, and so between those two personalities, like someone on the outside could see, like, there's no way these two are going to make it anywhere, you know? <laughs> and that's why I was laughing you know, from 1990 when he said, you can make an Olympic team. And, you know, I was like, ha, ha, ha. And then also in 96, he's the Olympic coach and I'm on his team. It's just like, wow, that is so ironic you know it's like i guess he really did see something because i didn't believe it originally and you know and that's the one thing that i just wish people knew about him as a coach and him as a personality and you know that is probably i feel some of the same reasons why uh you know he didn't wasn't able to stay in u.s archery as long as just because uh people didn't take him didn't think he took it serious and that is not I mean he's dedicated his life to archery still to this day and you know I just you know wish he was still around so I could you know feed off him but you know he's across the pond and it's tough and uh you know he was definitely huge in all my confidence you know because he just always knew like my execution like he could look through binoculars and look at my clicker and the tip of my bow and as i was shooting he would come up to me and say you're gonna have a good day and i'm like how can you tell by looking through binoculars at my clicker he's like i can just tell how you're executing you're gonna rock today i'm like i go out and i shoot a crazy good score and then he would come up to me he's like come on man your execution he would talk to me about it you know and maybe i'd struggle that day but he could just see just off me pulling through my clicker whether I was going to have a good day or a bad day. And no one else could do that. I don't care what coach it was. You know, they're looking at my release and, you know, all this stuff that, you know, I, I'm not a beautiful looking archer, you know, but the release is after the shot is out of your hand. And, you know, there's something to be said for that. And, you know, he didn't want me to co constantly concentrate on all those things that other coaches were trying to mold you into their style, you know, because every coach has their style. And I really, really trusted him because he would just say, hey, this is the way the Koreans do it. This is the way I would do it. This is the way Tim Strickland teaches. This is the way Dick Tone teaches. You know, he would go right down the list and he'd give me five ways of manipulating like my bow hand or my release hand or something. And then he says, you need to pick what you what feels good for you and what you can replicate over and over without thinking about it and you know and he's like you're your own coach i'm not your coach i'm not up on the line with you i can't feel you shooting i can't feel all the stuff that you need to be able to 
do in order to be independent and you know do goodness or on your own you can't turn around look at me and then me tell you oh this or that like all these other kids do like don't, don't look at me one time like you're on your own bit you know basically and you know some people would look at that and go well that's not good coaching but I feel it is because at the end of the day he is right you know I'm the one that pulls it back it's all a feeling thing you know and I have to make those adjustments on the fly and uh that was just, uh, it was really, it was really cool how everything just lined up like that for me and, and him. Yeah. Well, the reason I brought it up is because I think he's underappreciated for a lot of things that he brought to our sport and, you know, uh, okay, you're right. He wasn't up there on the line with you when you were actually pulling the bow, but in between he knew exactly what to say and how to say it to support what? what you were doing. You know, and I think that that was an underappreciated talent that Lloyd brings to the to the party even today. Or, or what not to say, you know, because yeah, yeah, yeah. To just go as out important. There, yeah, sync with the ship. You know, every single time you come back, you got something else to think about and something else to do. And, you know, that was just very, you know, it's tough on kids. And so he, he definitely is, was underappreciated. And I do have to make sure I give a little shout out to him because you know, a lot of people don't realize that he is the most decorated U.S. Olympic archery coach. And uh, I just want to make sure that everyone knows their history here because we do have a, um, a thing in archery where I feel like the history doesn't get passed along generations very well. And, and I don't feel like when I go to tournaments that I should be paraded around like a dignitary or whatever but I do think there is something that is lost in this sport a little bit. When you have Daryl Pace as the director of shooter shooting, you have Jay bars out there coaching some kids, you have me shooting and no one lets the field of play know that you have these legends on the field. And, you know, oftentimes Daryl's getting yelled at by a parent and saying, how do you know? You've never even shot before. And then <laughs> you're like, you're That's talking to Daryl Pace. <laughs> like, yeah. have you ever shot at that level before and Daryl's like yes I have you know and it's just uh I feel like you know a lot of the history should be brought back and and it's a funny thing that makes me it makes me it reminds me about this is you know when I came back shooting a couple of years ago I went down to the Long Beach uh this the California State Out, uh, Outdoor Championships and it's a pretty big tournament these days it's like well over 500 people Oh yeah, and I was like, I'll just go down. I'll just go down there and you know say hi to old friends and check it out. And I hadn't even shot yet. And Jason Vaccarello was there and Janet Dykeman, and that was pretty much the only two people that I saw I knew, and they knew me. But I got I got there and I went down to the senior men line and and the junior line of all the recurve boys and stuff. And I was sitting there watching with my binoculars and literally not one person said hi to me and it's not that I need that but I just hadn't been used to that ever since I could remember because you know I'd walk on the field and it was like a different you know I'm like a celebrity on the archery field but you know in common world I'm not so it wasn't I just wasn't used to like no one saying one word to me like literally I can hear them talking about Brady and the Olympics and this and that I'm like dude they don't even realize there's a gold medalist right here behind them this is crazy and I was driving home and I go I can't believe I just fell off 
the archery map completely like holy smokes like i need to get back into this and get my name back out there before i become a distant memory <laughs> you know? the irony the irony justin is that if you were to show up on an archery field anywhere in japan you'd be mobbed because everybody would instantly know who you are so it's yeah. it's a uh, it's partly cultural i think you know our archery culture in the united states has shifted um i've talked to some coaches i know some coaches that that will refuse to take on new students partly because of parents and how parents have kind of been behaving uh, in some ways. And it's different than, you know, when, when you and I were resident athletes in San Diego and we'd go to nationals and yeah, we, okay. You had a couple of the infamous archery parent types, but you know, in, in, at the end of the day, it is a shifted culture in our sport here in the United States now. And that's totally fine because everything shifts. I mean, look at sure. the scores. I mean, I came back and I was like, what? There's no way. This is not, there's no way. They move the target closer. They're on a 180 centimeter target. There's no way we're shooting 350s. And so it's been, because I was paying attention to the games and I knew Brady. I had met Brady before in 2007 up at the training center. And, you know, I, I would watch, but I wasn't just that close you know watching the scores worldwide and you know it, it's it's still now me shooting going wow it's like can i ever get up to that kind of shooting like <laughs> i feel like back then it was 96 you know on dirt bikes you couldn't even do backflips yet right the first backflip was landed by carrie hart in 2000 in competition right. and so my peak was uh that and i still haven't even landed my first backflip but the but now if you are in that sport of uh, freestyle motocross, you got to do like triple backflips. And so now me coming back going, I have never even landed my first one. I got to do triples, you know, <laughs> it's like, yeah. So, so putting myself in the category of competing at that level, um, you know, I want to be there. Uh, but at the same time, I'm realistic and I, I practice and I can tell how I shoot. And I'm like, what are these guys doing differently? It can't be these bamboo limbs. It can't be this. It can't be the NTS. It can't, you know. I was like, Same exact no arrows way. as you shot in 96, by the way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Tungsten points. But um, yeah, but yeah, it, yeah it, it's just one of those things. It's still shooting a bow because at the end of the day, when I'm practicing and I shoot that perfect execution shot, it's in the X. And so it's like, what are these guys doing to do it that much? You know, is it just like the four minute mile is like once someone breaks it, then everyone knows it's possible. And then it just, the floodgates open. Is that what has happened here? And I'm restricting myself because my mind was thinking three thirty fives. you know, if you shot three forty, like I, I can't even think of a handful of people that shot three forties back then, you know? Right. And, right. Uh, and it's like, you're shooting, they're shooting three forties in the wind. And so it's okay. You know, there has to be evolution. I would be disappointed actually coming back all these years later and everyone's still shooting the same old 335s and just, you know, so to me, it's, uh, I welcome it, but I'm like, well, where's the cap? You know, they're shooting 702s, you know, are we going to be shooting 710s next, you know, 712s? Like, what is the next set of evolution? And, uh, you know, so from the sport growing and getting better, I love it. But me coming back, trying to compete again, um, it's definitely... And especially with my schedule, trying to shoot, um, it's, you know, there's a realistic side, but I still have to keep that same mental approach that I did back then of, you know, 
trying to get myself around better shooters than me. That's why I try to go down to the training center, you know, here and there and shoot with Jack and those guys. Um, you know, when I'm at tournaments and I see Brady shooting, I'll try to like get down close to him and just whatever, because it just gives me that visual of, okay, he's doing it. How can I get to there? You know, let me have them suck me into their vortexes like I did at ASU, like I did at the Olympic Train Center in the mid nineties. And because once you see other people do it, it just doesn't make it so impossible sounding or looking. Yeah. 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 That's, that is the hard thing, right? I mean, you know, at a time when a 1320 was something we'd feel pretty satisfied with, you know, personally, my high score was a 1314 that I shot in Long Beach at one of, uh, at one of the tournaments that Carl Ratty put together, you know, the, the tournaments that Carl used to put together every weekend. Yeah. But, you know, and I'm like, ah, you know, <laughs> how did, how did that 1350 something come together? <laughs> you start doing the math and you go, Holy smokes. And then you see a 1400 being banged out by a Korean guy in practice yeah. and a 1405, 1406 being thrown out in competition by a Korean woman. Oof, you know, it, it's just a completely different mindset. And I think it is important what you just described to get in amongst other shooters shooting those kinds of standards, pulling you into their vortex. And, uh, and that's one of the approaches that you're taking right now as we flash forward to today and what you're doing right now. You've been shooting, you know, for the last couple of years, uh, getting to as many tournaments as you can. Um, talk about where do you want to go from here? What are, what are your plans right now? Well, you know, initially, like I, I had said, um, I went to that state championships and that wasn't the reason why I started because no one recognized me at the shoot. But when I was driving home that day, because for me to go there, I've already been thinking about archery enough to finally get off my butt and go someplace, you know? Sure. And um, so when I drove home, I was like, you know what, I'm going to go down to the uh, SoCal showdown and see everyone. It was like a couple of weeks after that. And, uh, and, and, it, and it wasn't so much because I wanted to be recognized again. It was just because I just wanted to see more people. I wasn't, I was shocked because uh, that I didn't know anyone at the tournament because it's been so long that that just the, the way the turnover is in the sport, you know, people move on with their lives. And so I was like, well, I'm going to go down there and check it out. Well, in that two week span, when I went home, I was like, where's my old matrix at? Where's that bow? So I got that, I strung it up. I, I reached out to Caneo Valley Archers and see me and my key that I had was, you know, 13 years old. And so I got an updated key to allow me in. And I met the president, Kurt Hoberg out there, who's a friend of mine through work. And, uh, you know, I, I said, hey, I'm going to come and shoot with you a little bit and just see how it feels. So I, I grabbed my bow, went out there and shot a couple arrows that day. And the minute I shot the bow, I actually shot, I knew that I wanted to get back into it. There was, and I've done it before years in the past, but it wasn't like that day. And so it just, it took me 13 years basically to do other things in life to finally come back to the sport to the point where I'm like, dude, I'm passionate about it now. Like I really want to feel like I was 14, 15 again, where you couldn't drag me off the field and that kind of thing. And so that was pretty much why I started shooting was strictly for my enjoyment and having fun. I had no plans on shooting national tournaments, none of that stuff. So in other words, you, you got back in because of the same reasons that you started. 
Exactly. And so what happened was once I shot that day, I literally that night started YouTubing and I was like, world cups. I'm like, God, I haven't seen any of this. And I literally, I spent probably two weeks, even after the showdown, I watched everything on Brady, everything on anything there's so much on YouTube where there's only one video of me from the games and that was it. And you know, now there's just a plethora of stuff. And I was like, Oh my God, this is great. And so I started shooting blank fill in my house like I had done back in the day. I, my, I, my stairwell only goes up like a landing like five feet. So I put a target right there and I can shoot blank fill. And so I just started shooting there. And then I was like, you know what? Maybe I will shoot a tournament. And then I looked up. I'm like, when's Olympic trials? And it's like four months away. <laughs> four months away. Let's try for it. You know, like Daryl and everyone else would come out of the woodwork for the Olympic Games. And, you know, so that's what I decided to try to do. And uh, so and then I instantly just started shooting like a madman, trying to, like, get up to speed, which was a joke because my body was like, what are you doing? Um, my <laughs> middle finger on my, on my, my release hand literally locked up on me to the point where even up to the Olympic trials and through the rest of the year until I took off, you know, in the winter time, like a month and a half, every single day I'd wake up, my middle finger was completely straight and I couldn't bend it. I would have to do hot and cold, you know, in the morning, I'd have to start bending and work it and get it loose again. Because even trying to work and trying to write a quote for work or something like that, I couldn't even write because my fingers are stuck in a straight position. And, uh, and so my, my arms, my, I had tendonitis in my arm, I, all the stuff that I, I never had an injury in archery one time. And all of a sudden, my body's just like, what are you doing to me? And so I talked to Brady because he had finger issues and he was telling me what to do. And I would ask everyone, I'm like, is your fingers stiff? And everyone's like, no. And, uh, and it's just the tendon that goes through your knuckle was swelling up and it wasn't allowing my flexibility in my finger. And, um, and so 2019, you know, I, I shot the Olympic trials and I gave it a valiant effort and I ended up getting 17, even though they cut to 16, I tied the 16th place guy and, uh, he beat me on tens. So I ended up, you know, getting cut there, but it was one of those things. Like I just came out and shot and got 17th that fast. You know, I was expecting, you know, 30, 40th, who knows what it would have been. That would have been probably better for me because I would have had more fun, quote unquote, and I wouldn't have had this more competition side start to take over. But since I was flirting with possibly making that cut and then I shot other tournaments, the fun factor is still there, but that competitive like wanting to maybe get back into it at that level was starting to creep in really, really fast. Oh yeah. And I was that definitely would have blown some fresh air onto the sparks, huh? Yeah. And I was trying to keep it very separate. Like, you know, I want to pay my own way to tournaments. Even when I was contacting some of these companies just to try to get fresh new equipment, they're like contracts, you know, what are you, what are you trying to do? You know, we don't fill out contracts till November. And I'm like, I'm not trying to do any contracts, you know, I just want to shoot you guys' equipment because what I've always done before. And that's it. I want to, I'm not, I don't want to be a free agent necessarily, but that's not why I'm coming back in the sport. And that's not why I'm calling you about money. I'll pay for my own trips. I'll pay my own way, all that kind of stuff. I just want to, you know, have fun again. And I don't want to feel obligated and all these kinds of things. And right. so, you know, and that's kind of still the stance I have today, but 
that competitive side has superseded the fun now. And so after 2019, when I took a little break off and I came back and started shooting in January, my finger was great, you know? And then I talked to Jake Kaminsky and he, him and his wife um, told me how to tape my arm for the tendonitis. And I taped my arm and all that went away. And now in 2020, I was feeling strong and ready to go. But then obviously we had the pandemic and, uh, you know, once we had the pandemic, everything got shut down. So, you know, it was like, I stopped shooting again because I didn't know if we'd ever return back to it um, that year. And, you know, if we can return back to it, it wasn't really worth my time putting that much effort into it every single day. But, you know, I was feeling stronger than I did when I was a kid. I was feeling um, just everything more healthy. Just, just, I felt really good going into 2020. And I still feel like that today. Um, I haven't had any issues with my fingers, my arms, my back, you know, I'm able to shoot as many arrows as I need to. Um, basically what I'm fighting now is just, there's just not enough hours in the day and I'm not willing to just pack up and like go to the Olympic training center or something like that. I just, I couldn't do that, but I do want to try to make a team and, and I want to make a world cup team. And it's that is pretty much kind of a goal I have set for myself now. Um, Olympics and world target trials, you know, that's coming up. Those are all great and everything. But after watching so much YouTube and watching all this World Cups, I mean, I just have to get to that stage somehow, some way. And yeah. work your way toward it like you did back in the early 90s. Yeah. And so, you know, last year, not all of our top guys were shooting because of the pandemic, but. I still landed ninth and I mean, I had a couple good tournaments and a couple bad ones. And, you know, one of the reasons in 2003 that I pretty much just stopped shooting was because I had, you know, a mild case of target panic, I guess you would say, or lack of confidence. And um, I didn't really want to deal with it. And so this time around, you know, it's crept in, but I have, try to just shatter it and I'm just going forward and and trying to take all the steps and run that mental program that uh you know I always didn't think would work and just let the time go on and eventually it will and you know getting out there shooting more tournaments getting more exposure to that um is is a huge thing because the more tournaments you shoot the more comfortable you get you know, at the end of the day, here you are potentially in a position to make senior use at in the next 12 months. Yeah, I mean, that, that could be something I could possibly make, you know, who knows? Um, and it would be like for my friends and family, it would be like, oh, you made the U.S. US team. It'd be like a hip hip hooray kind of thing. Um, but for me, it's, you know, I have, you know, I want to try to rub elbows with our top guys. And I love that we have Brady over here keeping the bar so high i think right now justin hewish has a lot to bring to some of these younger shooters have you considered any possibility of becoming um, a coach in any way um looking forward well you know what people have asked me that and have asked me that all along even like 
in my own world away from archery because they think, oh, you won the gold medal. You know, why don't you coach? Isn't there money in that? You know, what kind of, you know, profession is coaching? And, you know, I honestly have a hard time looking at people, you know, and I'm not saying I couldn't do it. I just never put myself in the mindset of like, this is what they should do differently, or this is, you know, something that you should try or, you know, it, that's, I that's fair enough. I mean, remember Magic Johnson and what a great player Magic Johnson was, but then, you know, when he tried to coach, he couldn't explain to somebody how to do with the things that he was able to do. Not everybody's cut out for that. So, yeah, you know, I mean, I can go to a Boy Scout camp or something like that and do the 10 steps of archery and get someone shooting at a pie plate or something like that. I mean, that's, that's not the thing, but you know, at that top level, um, and, you know, because even if people ask me, what do you do? I'm like, I don't know. I just pick up and I shoot there, you know? Yeah, we, we can't all be Dick Tone and Lloyd Brown. You know, that's that's the problem. We Those guys have a talent for seeing things that that the average, the average uh, even top shooter doesn't spot and doesn't even know how to spot. So you know, I was just curious, you know, to see if that was something that might be. But I also think, though, that, you know, uh, you have other things to offer uh, to our sport. Your, your recollection of how things were is one of those. That's, that's one reason why we're talking today. But I, I really think, Justin, that you getting back into competition is going to inspire some people. And um, I, I really, uh, really wish you the best of luck on that because I think it's, it's a noble thing you're doing. And I think it's really great that, you're, that you've found the fire again and that you're back in it. And, and I, I have because look at Mark Hainline shooting again. My cousin Bill is shooting again. Um, yeah. I can go down my Instagram DMs of uh, all the guys that, you know, that are, you know, my age or a little bit older. They're like, I'm going to get back into it. I've been shooting Baribo or I'm going to do this. You know, and it's like, you make me want to shoot again, dust off my bow. And I go do it. You know, it's like, there's no reason not to, you know? And, yeah. uh, and that's, you know, and, that's you one know, more thing that, you know, we had a surge of uh, archery participation after your gold medal win. And your media appearances and all that sort of thing. Gina Davis came into our sport because primarily her seeing you in performance. And I think that uh, you're going to have a chance to do some of that again. Yeah. And by me having the fun and coming out again, like I, I'm not making a point to it, but I'm, I wouldn't say I'm more friendly now. Um, I don't even know the right word to say, but, you know, I'm really appreciating my archery relationships that I'm, I had from before that I'm re rekindling and also the new people I'm getting to meet. And, um, you know, I don't have a lot of technical information to offer necessarily, but, you know, I am an open book and, you know, anyone that reaches out to me, I reach out back to them no matter where it is or who it is. And I'm going to give them, the straight shot you know i'm not gonna tell them some weird thing just to you know like i i feel like a lot of archers now like what do you do and they're just telling me something totally wrong just to throw me off pace and it's all because it's a it's a game of like i want to stay on top and uh you know me me coming back now it's like i just don't you know i want to enjoy it like i want to enjoy the cities that i'm traveling to you know, I used to come in like the latest flight possible, leave the earliest flight possible. Um, I mean, I can go down the list of things that weren't terrible, but like that's just being like a, a loner competitor in a sense where now it's like, I really want to soak this in, you know, I really want to 
you know, it's my vacation. I don't really go anywhere on trips, you know, right now my vacation is the tournaments. And so that's how I look at it. Even though I want to compete well, I still am in this passionate zone and I don't want to lose it. You know, I, I hated practicing for about 10 years, literally. And now every day, like right around this time, I'm like, I got to get back to see me. I got to shoot. I got to shoot. And I didn't have that for years and years. The reason why I said I had to shoot is like, I need to shoot 100 arrows at least today, blank bill. Otherwise, I'm going to get, you know, behind in my physical training. And, you know, now it's like at 200, 250, I'm like, dude, it's too dark now. This is too bad. I need to, tr I need to try to get out here a little bit earlier. And, um, and I don't want to lose that. And, you know, everyone's like, are you still going to be shooting? And are you retiring anytime soon? And I go, I'll be at every tournament. If you, if you see me not signed up for a tournament, then I finally retired again. Um, because that's how committed I feel right now. And uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens, you know. <clears throat> so, you know, what the difference is now, what you just expressed is you learned appreciation. You've learned to enjoy the moment. You've learned to enjoy where you're at and what you're doing. And maybe in the past you didn't you didn't have that same sense. And now you do. Yeah. I mean, and it goes for a lot of things. I mean, I have dogs now and I appreciate having dogs. I appreciate my family. I mean, just a lot of things. I mean, a lot of stuff's happened in my life to um, steer me down this road, but at the end of the day, you know, uh, the archery people are some of the most friendliest, awesome, good natured people that you could run across. I mean, I have been in a lot of their communities since then. Um, the boating community, off-roading community and you know off-roading when you go out to the desert you find people similar to archery whereas you're broke down out in the middle of the desert and someone comes rolling up they'll give you their four hundred dollars spare tire and they don't even want it back you know they're just trying to get you home safely and like it's like giving you the shirt off their back and whereas if you go to lake havasu or some of these other uh, waterways in my area you know you're dealing with some really um, less desirable personalities. And, you know, you don't know if you're going to get in a fight all of a sudden because you looked at someone wrong or whatever. And when you're in the archery community, it's just, I mean, there's not a bad person that I've run across. Like, I can't say a bad thing about anyone. Like, you know, well, we're all, we, 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 all tend to weed, we, we tend to weed them out, Justin. <laughs> yeah. Well, they or they weed themselves out. But in the end, you know, I don't look at someone, oh, man, he's from wherever, you know, he's not, you know, yeah, he may not from California and have the same cultural um, ideologies and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, when it's shooting a bow, it's shooting a bow. And we have a lot to talk about. And, um, and, and so that's the one thing I have missed is just, the camaraderie, the, you know, even though it's an individual sport, you know, you do when you're at a tournament for four or five days, you go out to dinner with different folks, you uh, hang out watching, you know, the medal matches if you're already eliminated. And, you know, it's just, I, archery people have always been great. And that's something that I truly did miss. <clears throat> Justin Hewish, I am delighted that you're back. And I am delighted to have been able to talk to you today. And uh, I'm looking forward to talking to you again soon because I know that uh, our listeners want to hear a lot more from you. So thank you for joining us on the podcast today. No problem. Thank you. Anytime. Just let me know.